This is the Hammer Horror Podcast. Frankenstein Edition. Part 2. The Revenge of Frankenstein. Welcome to Hammer Horror Podcast. This is our second podcast in the Frankenstein edition where we look at the sequel to the movie that started it all and created the name Hammer Horror. The movie in discussion is titled Revenge of Frankenstein. The intro music was supplied by our friends Midnight Syndicate from the album Monsters of Legend. The track is called Building a Monster. I'm joined by regular podcasters Miles Davies and Meredith Murphy. Greetings. Hello. And welcome. As a break from our usual format of rotating hosts, I have you both casting your views with me across the entire Frankenstein franchise. The Frankenstein. Mm, the Frankenstein. I like it. Uh, I like where you're going with that. That's good. Um, but before we begin dissecting the movie itself, um, uh-huh. let's... Um, <laughs> you like what I did there? Um, <laughs> I'd like to give you some notes about the actual film, Revenge of Frankenstein, really quickly. Yeah. It came off the back of the success of, obviously, Curse of Frankenstein and Dracula. Uh, Jimmy Hangster and Hammer would go on to create the sequel to the film that made them. Um, charged with bringing Frankenstein back from the dead and what to do with the creature now that it had been destroyed. Jimmy Sankster remarked in response to the sequel and bringing Baron Frankenstein back, we sew the head back on again. That simple. The focus for revenge would again be on the character of Frankenstein and his obsession with creating life. So a lot of pressure is cast on Hammer to deliver. But what do the podcasters here at HHP make of the film movie today? Before we cast our view, let's have a breakdown of the movie's plot and Meredith, Miles, feel free to interject as usual as we delve into Revenge of Frankenstein. Ooh. <laughs> Bit scared. Um, we start, as always, with the opening credits leading with Peter Cushing's name and begin the story where we last left off with the silhouetted frame of the guillotine. We are introduced to the character of Fritz, the hunchback assistant to Frankenstein, who follows his master to the guillotine. The executioner nods to Fritz and we see the guillotine raise and fall. Cut to one of Hammer's typical pub scenes and more importantly Michael Ripper, playing a drunk who is listening to his friend hatching a plan to dig up a body from the graveyard with some persuasion in the form of money. That's a great transition between the guillotine and the the red wine getting poured. Yes. Very nicely done. Yeah, and the screeching hand. (laughs) That's right. <laughs> that was a classic. <laughs> no, it was great, great segue, yeah, and it's good. Nice. It was good to see them experimenting with that kind of yeah, stuff in yeah. edit, yeah. edit field. Simple, simple edits. Yeah, it's but cool. quite modern for the day. Mm. Modern for the day. Um, so we have uh, Michael Ripper, and his character kind of agrees to go along with his uh, his friend's plan of spot a grave robbing, bit of grave robbing. As you do, as you do, gets the money in. So we're in the graveyard, and the grave in which they wish to steal from its headstone reads Baron Frankenstein. Always, you've got to go for the barons. Got to go for the barons. Well, they're going to have money. And they prize open the coffin to reveal the body inside is that of a priest with his head cut off. Oh, dear. Oh. And all, they do that one? I don't know. All of a sudden, Baron Frankenstein appears with Fritz in tow. The grave. Just chilling. Yeah, just hanging out in the graves. <laughs> I'm going to wait here until somebody prizes open the coffin. Fuck <laughs> off! 
the bit of naughtiness. That's it. And the two men go to Frankenstein's lab. Um, and I've got a quote here saying, it'll be a pity to lose you so soon. That's a good line. Yeah. <laughs> Frankenstein uncovers the arm of the pickpocket he'd removed, mentioned in a previous scene. Frankenstein turns on some machines to show his latest work. Basically, two tanks and a machine. One tank has a pair of eyes in it. Uh, <laughs> a, a good set. And anywhere in the room, they seem to follow, follow him. Follow yeah. And the other had a hand. And the machine is meant to re- represent the brain. The eyes watch the movement made by Frankenstein as he moves the flame closer to the hand, and the hand flinches. Freaks out, And then another quote where he says, I swore that I would have my revenge, in reference to his past. He also, and it's probably the only crowbar point of the title as well, Revenge of Frankenstein, in it? Because he doesn't really get revenge. I'm no, kind no. of jumping ahead a bit, but... No, yeah. I think yeah. that's that somewhat, you know, in the Grand Hammer tree. It sounds good. A somewhat yeah. tenuous link. It's a good title. It's, it's, like, yeah, it's like, what do we call the sequel? Return, revenge, attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which adjective will suit this Anyway, he, uh, he reveals... Stroppy. Frankenstein reveals a body that he's been working on, which only needs a brain to give it life. He also reveals if that... I only, Carl, I only had a brain. Um, nice. Um, he reveals that Carl the Hunchback has offered his brain in the experiment. Cut to the next scene, and a woman comes to visit Hans and reveals herself to be Margaret Conrad, and that she will be working in the lab. Or at the hospital, I should say. Carl walks in and is clearly besotted with her. The doctors now ready themselves for the operation. Fritz is to be put to sleep as they perform the brain transplant, shot of brain being placed into a jar. This film, I must say, did get pretty graphic. Got graphic. You know, I was actually quite surprised censorship-wise that certain things buried alive. Um, Brain transplant. Brain got cut. That got cut, but we were watching uh, Uh, the American re-re- Revised version well, of it, there you have it. Uh, which has it in there, yeah. Mm. So, um, but yeah, originally the, the B were like, no, just went, that's getting a little bit more bloody, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Brits didn't allow it, but the Americans were like, yeah, bring it on, man. Yeah. Really bad American accent, I apologize. Um, so anyway, we uh, we have the brain transplant has taken place, and what happens next? That's right, they preserve Carl's body in embalming fluid. Which I thought was quite interesting. And then the body begins to animate. Um, it suddenly twitches and violently shudders. The doctors claim that the body will be fine. It'll be right. Um, they transport the body to the hospital and are witnessed by the helping hand. Um, there are screams heard and Hans tries to calm Carl down. The next day, Carl wakes to find that he's been restrained to the bed. Frankenstein tells him that it won't be for long. They perform some tasks to observe his motor skills. Carl asks when he can see his new body. What happens now? Hans tells how people will come to watch and observe this marvel in science. This does not please Carl, who feels people have stared at him all his life for being a freak, and that doesn't look set to change. Back in the hospital ward, Frankenstein asks Margaret to not be around when he is there. The hand help mentions about Carl and that he is strapped up. The hand help steals a key and leads Margaret to the locked room where they are keeping Carl. She goes in and Carl mentions her name in greeting. She loosens his straps. Uh-oh. Hans and Frankenstein are in the lab. 
where hearts go on. Sorry, no, you can see exactly why Dr. Stein didn't want this silly woman yeah. going about the ward. She's going and releasing Women should know their Women, know your limits. Yeah. No, 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 good point. Uh, so like, Hans and Frankenstein, meanwhile, are in the lab, and uh, Hans learns the test victim, uh, which was this chimpanzee... The test victim. <laughs> ...has started craving flesh since the experiment and has turned into a cannibal. Oh, dear. Zombie monkeys. Zombie monkeys. That's the next film. Frankenstein then reveals that he is working on another experimentation, and the corpse looks quite similar to him. Which I thought was a bit weird. I don't know about you guys. Just, you know, at have, that point. have a spare there. Yeah. Spare. Carl then sees his reflection for the first time and then escapes from his room. Carl watches Hans and Frankenstein leave the lab before breaking in. He discovers his old body and burns it in the furnace. He then discovers another body, but is interrupted by the keeper or the, or the jailer or whoever it is, the janitor, I guess. The janitor, the yeah. security guard, the yeah. bouncer, they all have the same That's it. Of, you know, meathead look. And this guy proceeds to beat Carl up for no reason, which was a bit rude, I thought. Yeah, he just started just lays on him. him. And yeah. said, and right, you're going to get more of yeah. that. It was very Sydney sort of bar security guard. <laughs> yeah. Like, no rhyme or reason, just you're there. Just shocker. It's Good on. head kicking. Uh, even, like, I thought it was quite sad as well, because Carl's yeah. actually pleading him not to not to do it. You know? And then well, he was just going, right, I'm just getting started. Big soft. Yeah, yeah. Major, which I will talk about when we. Yeah, no, absolutely. The performance. Um, but then, uh, so what happens then? So, yeah, he's pleading with him not to. Then all of a sudden, Carl becomes a bit manic and suddenly becomes stronger. He strangles the uh, janitor, killing him. And then he draws, marking his salivation for cannibalism, uh, which I thought was quite a nice touch. Mm. Hans and Frankenstein discover that Carl has escaped. Hans mentions what he said to Carl, for which Frankenstein chars him for not knowing what effect this would have on Carl. They go to the lab and discover what Carl has done. And then... Like yeah, everything's going wrong. Oh. <sighs> Who knew? Margaret returns home to find Carl in her stables, just hanging out, eating some hay. Um, he pleased... She, she gave him her address. <laughs> she did give him her address. She opened the door to That's this. right. That's right. And rather than knocking on the door, he just hung out with the yeah. horses. He pleads with her for help, though, and she says that she will get Dr. Stein. He tells her not to, so she goes to Hans instead. Carl then begins to discover that his disability has returned and he can no longer use his arm. Interesting moment, this, as it reflects that the brain retains memory and that... Uh, this has an effect on his ability. I found that really quite a cool part of the film as well. Yeah, like, I agree. All sorts of I like interesting, it. you know, physical imperfections versus you know psychological imperfections. There's all sorts of interesting layers. There is a lot of where layers. that hand starts going crazy. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but unfortunately, when the when Margaret comes back to to the stables, Carl's gone. Cut to a comical scene with a couple out on a date, and she starts for home. Uh, but he's attacked by Carl. Just not getting on with it. He's him. not getting... No, that's it. She's like, come on, give it up, love. I love how they, they always have to throw in something a little bit carry-on. Carry-on, that's you it. You know, it's just like... This well, is a British thing. film. I, I guess, we, you know, Margaret was so classy, they had to put a bit of trashy... Yeah, yeah, yeah a bit of trash. In there, you know. That's it. So Gerda, you know, chuck Gerda in there, and she was um, she was up for it. Buxom, she was. Buxom Gerda. Uh, Buxom Gerda. That's going to be... Yeah. I'm going to tattoo that. <laughs> Buxom Gerda. Um, anyway, so like they have this kind of comical kind of exchange, and then she starts home, 
uh, and uh, at which point she is attacked by Carl. Uh, Dr. Stein and Hans arrive in a carriage where they discover a murder has taken place in the park. A horrible murder. And that cannibalism seems to have taken part in the proceedings. Zombies! Zombies! It's that monkey. Anyway, Carl returns to... (laughs) Carl returns to Margaret's house seeking refuge uh, and at the same time Frankenstein and Hans go to the house in search of Carl. Carl breaks into the house amongst the crowded party scene. He first goes for Margaret and then shouts, Frankenstein! Frankenstein, help me! Thus giving away Frankenstein's identity. Mm. (gasps) Cut to a scene... With cut to a scene where the council discuss the incident. They tell how Carl had died. Oh. Yeah, I kind of wanted. It was a bit washed over, wasn't it? Out. Yeah. It was like you know, he was the character that my heart was going out for the most, and they just swept, swept under the carpet. Maybe he asked for pay rise or something, and they just got <laughs> off the carpet without asking him back to shoot the demise. As, as much as I love the, the Hammer Empire, it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me that would be their way of doing yeah. pesky. It was one way. You know, even um, I think Neighbours did it a few years ago. They got rid of one of the actors just because he asked for a pay rise. Doctors, isn't he? No. Where's he going to go next? No, he's Dr. Un. Yeah, he's the 
Med Dr. N. Dr. N. Yeah. We see a mustachioed Frankenstein. Hans helps him and Frankenstein puts on a monocle and then ventures Disguise. out to see more patients. Hans oh, smiles. Close credits. End. Ha, ha, ha. End of the film. So what do we think? Uh, initial thoughts before we talk about our final thoughts. I think it had its heart. It had its heart in the right place, but uh, but not the brain. Yeah, there was very little, you know, logistics involved, uh, logic involved. No, that's yeah. right. But that's I right. think, um, you know, I suspended all sort of rational, yeah. logical thoughts when watching this film, and I, I must admit, I quite enjoyed it. Mm. Like the, and I liked the different direction mm. that Cushing's character, like in the beginning when he had his medical practice, you sort of. I, I think because it had been so long since I'd seen the first film, I'd kind of blocked out all the sort of, all the bad stuff oh. that, um, you know, yeah. the doctor had done before. And I'm like, oh, look, he's helping people. And then you have that first moment of, he's amputating recreationally. <laughs> and, you know, it's sort of built up that sort of this more, you know, science-driven man, you know, man trying to help people. It's like, no, 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 there's a bit of a twist here. There's a bit of an egomaniac here. There's a bit of a I am God thing here. And, yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah. See, I think, I mean, the first film, I, I, you know, I saw that it was just, it was about him going crazy, basically. Mm. Yes. And so... Maybe, and you had that whole thing about it being yeah, a dream thing, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, the last part was a dream yeah. thing. Yeah. But, so I, I guess I kind of, I believe that maybe he kind of, he got right in his head and, and he was he was mm. doing the right thing and he was trying to be good. But then, but then obviously he had his, his own sort of underlying thing of, Projects that he was had on his on the side, but yeah, he was slowly sort of transitioning yeah. into the full psychopath, basically. Yeah. So when it actually he did uh, confront the um, uh, the board and yeah. said, oh, "My name's Doctor Stein," because I, I changed my name, he pulled off the full psychopath and he was able to lie so yeah. blatantly and so yeah. convincingly. Yeah. Um, and you know. It, well, that's where it gets very Jekyll and Hyde mm. like. But there is definitely the, the quite good side, and the quite likable mm. side of his character. Well, that's as the well. thing. Stereotype uh, psychopaths are very charming, mm. but you, you try and rock their boat, and they'll they'll That's kill or lie or yeah. do anything to get out of yes. you rocking their boat. And that's essentially what he what he is. He's yeah. got every single mannerisms and every single sort of you know he's the stereotype psychopath. Mm. Basically, and I found that especially intriguing. Hans's um, sort of idolizing of him that clearly mm. this is someone that recognized him, knew what his crimes were, but then at the same time sort of rationalized it of you're such a visionary doctor Stein that you know I must follow you and I must help you and even you know to the absolute crazy stark raving mad bitter end mm. you know well, I guess that, you know that these psychopaths they do get a following yeah. like I mean mm. there's the TV show the following that's that's on yes. the moment and the guy is blatantly a murderous psychopath and he has all these disciples just following around yeah. and hanging on every single word Charles Manson had like you know people just oh, hanging on every single here. word Frankenstein's Disciples. That would be yeah. a great initiative. I thought you said you were going to no, stop. No, no. It's interesting, like, I'm, and I'm biting my tongue because I really want to talk about one of the later movies mm. as well because it, it, go, it deals... There's one particular movie in the franchise where it really tackles with that and, in my opinion, it's the best 
of the franchise, but I'm going to not say which one it is until we get to it. Um, but yeah, at the moment, it's it seems to be kind of uh, downplayed a little bit. Mm. And a lot of that was to do with censorships too. And we'll talk about that in the next one as well, Evil of Frankenstein, because it treads a very similar vein, um, where um, it was basically, uh, again, the BBFC were wanting the character of Frankenstein to come across as sympathetic in part, so they mm. couldn't unnecessarily unleash his fury or, or the evil of Frankenstein, ironically enough, mm. could not be unleashed at this stage. In some ways, though, I think that can make for a more interesting film journey, shall mm. we say, that you do have those moments of going, oh no, he's a bit likeable, or oh no, yeah. he's, he's doing some good, or he's got some sort of charm, yes. and then you get sort of slapped in the face with the cold fish going, oh, goodness the, gracious me. I mean, these days you've got the, the, the monsters that are on films, uh, pure psychopaths, and they're yeah. all kind of likeable psychopaths mm. as well, like Hannibal and, yeah. and all those guys, you know, but Hannibal's just as, as despicable as they get. You've got to look at... Yeah, uh, Charming, yeah. you know, yeah. and so likable. Even in the TV series, which is actually really gruesome, yeah, yeah. and it gets really quite gruesome, and you tr- kind of just going, "Catch the bugger!" <laughs> but he's he's so likable as well. Dexter's in the same yeah. camp. That's right. Like, there's an absolutely reprehensible character, but at the same time, he's the goodie. Yeah, he's yeah, exactly. So, and you go, "Get away with it!" Hammer was trailblazing. <laughs> they were doing it yeah, way yeah. back when. I want to also mention uh, Walter White as well, and just like uh, in uh, Breaking Bad, because mm. like that's also another yeah, character that. You just watch his descent, and yeah. yet uh, you're kind of rooting for him the whole way through. Yeah, because you know his backstory. That's good writing. I had um, anyway. as a friend of mine on uh, uh, Facebook recently who's like, I'm halfway through um, Breaking Bad, and am I supposed to still like him? <laughs> I do, and I feel guilty about it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's like very cool writing. Yeah. Well, let's like let's um, let's talk about the players of the piece then. Um, you know, we already mentioned we were talking about Peter Cushing, who who no. comes again as uh, Victor Frankenstein, uh, reprising the role. Oh, sorry, Doctor Stein. Um, and this time around, his his character has uh, Doctor. It's pronounced Stein. Stein. It went all wrong. Um, this time around, his character has changed somewhat, as we were talking about. It's not as maniacal, mm. but he's striving to prove himself amongst his medical peers. Mm. And I guess that's where the title Revenge comes in, because he's trying to establish his his own um, prowess within yeah. the medical field. Um, and he, but he is still you know, bent on his one pursuit, which is to create life. What, what do you think of his character and the difference between uh, this one and in Curse? Pause. For Pause thought. for thought. Yeah, I mean, we've touched on this yeah, already. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously he's descended fully into it and he's embracing his psychopathy yeah. majorly. So he's actually quite comfortable in it now. He's and also interesting in this one too because he's he's uh, rebuilt his practice again, mm. um, and he's basically got. Um, his subjects or, or like his materials mm. at hand, no pun intended, um, at, the, at the hospital because they're just there and he's, you know, freely just severing off limbs left, right and centre to to work on because um, right. he, he sees them purely as sci- scientific experiments. He doesn't see them as human beings. I think in, that, so. this, in that respect, I find his characterisation more interesting in this one in that mm. the first one it was all that foundation of sort of the unveiling of this psychopath that, you know, was just, you know, he's the Baron. Yeah. And it sort of was all behind closed doors. And as you say, this is even sort of more insidiously evil that yeah. it's 
this man is sort of on the surface, you know, out to help people on the surface, you know, this, you know, left of centre doctor that's sort of out, you know, he's not part of the old boys club, you yeah. know, good on him type of thing. And then it sort of turns around and it's like, no, he's not part of that because he's, he's got the old a psychopathic yeah. egomaniac. Yeah. That's it. And he's now got a little camp of followers and he's just doing some choppy choppy and he's got, you know, his mm. little experiments. He does. And well, I think yeah. the last film was like such a coming of age film. Mm. That's true. Especially for his madness. Yeah. And now he's fully he's you know, comfortable. He's in it. <laughs> yeah, he's, exactly. And he's embraced it. You yeah. Know, yeah. He's got his, his, you know, doctor side and then he's got his maniac side. And it's that Hugh Jackman. No, so sort of, yeah, no yeah. switch, when to switch over. So. Mm. Yeah, mm, which which is you know again it comes back to how lucky Hammer were with, with Peter Cushing mm. I can't and having somebody of that talent to be able to switch mm. like that and that the, some of the lines he just delivers are, are some done with a tongue firmly in cheek, mm. um, but others are so kind of malicious as well and it's mm. yeah it's very very good performance. But that's what I found also very interesting about the, the conclusion of the film that you know in a, a very sort of different direction for you know for the traditional Frankenstein story yeah. that he actually the monster the real monster which is the doctor mm. yes. does become a monster yeah, himself exactly. i found that quite a sort of really quite yes. nifty play on things that you know there was the deformed you know the you know poor carl who had genuine problems and didn't want to be sort of pointed out yeah, yeah. you could never really see him and he wanted to escape guy, that and no. he was the good guy but mm. then you know the doctor who's you know, does become the creature. Yeah. I want to, I just, there's a good point to add this point. Um, and I, I know it kind of gives away some stuff that, um, with future, uh, Frankenstein films, but the, in the entire franchise, that final transition of brain transplant of Frankenstein into the other Frankenstein character is the only successful one. Okay. And it was performed by his assistant, not uh. him. Well, you know... What's that say? That, <laughs> He's exactly. A dog, yeah. All that ego gets in the way yeah. of the scalpel. That's it. That's <laughs> what it is. It's ego. Let's let him down every time. Anyway, well, let's look at um, his assistant in question, played by Francis Matthews, who uh, is playing the character of Dr. Hans Cleave, or Cleave, I think it is. Um, now, he was in a 60s TV series of Biggles entitled Biggles on the Nile. Um, I was a big fan of Biggles as a kid. Yeah, I loved it. Um, but I really like this next thing. He was uh, he did the voice to Captain Scarlet. I know, I read that. I was like, holy shit, that's yeah. awesome. It's like I used so to love good. that show. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, really <laughs> <such a cat. laughs> such I, I, oh, so much so. But I was just like, and I always preferred this the season of Captain Scarlet. I, I really liked the whole kind of concept. It was only one, wasn't it? Wasn't yeah. It? yeah, yeah. And uh, the whole Mysterons. And oh, I preferred that to Thunderbirds and Stingray. I just yeah, liked the no, whole concept I of it. Stingray as well. Stingray. Uh, yeah. um, anyway, so, um, but I just thought that was pretty cool. But we're in. Um, HHP have seen Freddy before in uh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, um, which I think I did with Ant. I can't recall now. Seems so long ago. Um, but he they would get also. The titles, they all sort of blur. <laughs> That's like it. Prince of Darkness, Prince of Evil. Yeah, yeah. He he also starred in another great one, which was uh, Rasputin the Mad Monk, oh, nice. um, and that's because it was shot at the same time as Prince of Darkness, so they used a lot of the same actors. Christopher Lee, Christopher Lee yeah. again, yeah, in probably one of his best movie, uh, mm. movie performances for Hammer. Um, what did we think of Francis in this, though, as as the uh, the sidekick? Hans? It was good. I mean, 
I don't know what reason I haven't seen the next film, so I don't know what reason the next one it should be, but. No, he's, he's not shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> no. he's Obviously, not... Frankenstein pumps him off. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, look, this is a weird yeah. thing too. I mean, we'll touch on this as it well. Was but nice to have no... an assistant that wasn't like the stereotype eagle or type yeah. thing. So. Mm. Yeah, Someone with right. a nice, nice cravat and mm. a bit of bit of charm about. Bit of charm. He was known for his charm, actually, Francis Matthews, you know. and he got on really well with Peter Cushing behind oh. the scenes as well. They were quite chummy, chummy friends. Um, yeah, but no, I, I liked his performance. I mean, it kind of is a bit uh, run by the mill. He's just got to be the guy. I mean, the interesting thing with him is that he's the novice. Mm. So he's the one that makes the mis- mistakes, as it were, along the way that leads to Hans... Uh, not Hans. Leads to um, Carl. Carl wanting to escape. Mm. But at the same time, as, as you said before, the only one that pulls off. But he does it. Uh, yeah. Pulls it off in the end. There was a lot of humour of his line about, you know, the... Um, I, I did mention it, but about him saying, "I hope I've got the skills to do it." You know, cinemas loved it; they just laughed out loud. Yeah. And I think um, Francis and Peter went to see the premiere, and Peter turned to him and said, "Good Lord, what have we done?" Um, <laughs> but but the Americans lapped it up; they loved it. So, and hence why there was more to come. Um, I, will, I want to talk about Michael Gwynn next, who plays Carl, um, the uh, the. Not not the hunchback Carl, but the monster Carl, mm. for the for the sake of term, uh, using a terminology on him. Um, we have seen Michael Gwynn as well in, in a previous podcast review of Scars of Dracula. He was the priest character um, within that one. Um, other Hammer appearances include The Camp on Blood Island, Never Take Sweets from a Stranger. He would also appear in the film Dunkirk, uh, Village of the Damned, and would appear as Hermes in Jason and the Argonauts. Um, he may also be remembered for playing uh, Lord Melbury in 40 Towers episode A Touch of Glass which was the very first 40 Towers episode I really liked his performance in this I have to say and I think we've he already touched on this yeah. like he really is the heart of the movie he is and he made me tear up yeah there's a lot of a moments thing to do. and even like the point I mean, we, the bit where he salivates after kill, killing the uh, janitor um, and that kind of switching to that manic uh, performance which could yeah it is hammy when he does it but it could be really over the top and it's just on that in my opinion just that right level mm. on this side of of sane mm. plain insanity I but, liked how also they didn't turn him into sort of you know clearly he's the sympathetic character in it mm. but how he's pushed to get to that next stage of you know the craziness the, the cannibalism yeah coming to the fore was something that you know that man pushed and pushed and pushed and circumstances pushed him to you sort of yes. could tell that there was that final little flicker of Carl in there yes who was actually despite being you know a lackey of the crazed Dr. Frankenstein and you yeah. know privy to much of the madness there was a fundamental goodness in the way he had this sort of dorky crush on Margaret yeah yeah mm-hmm. that's right quite endearing and you know you run to a woman, woman's stable when you like her you yeah know, yeah that's Oh, yeah, I, I do it now to the yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. Just hang out at the stables. Can't keep away from Shelley's horses. <laughs> Damn <laughs> fine, like Billy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. He, you know, and I thought that was uh, full credit to to Gwyn's performance. I thought it was very good. And even at the very end, you know, with his pleading for uh, Frankenstein's help, mm. you know, you, there's still that you know sympathy that goes out to his character. Yeah, yeah very, very cool. Um, let's talk about the other Carl, the, the hunchback Carl, played by. Oscar Quitak, 
Um, he was in quite a lot of numerous TV roles in his career. He would actually turn up in a Hammer House of Horror, um, Mystery and Suspense, sorry, not horror, episode called Black Carrion as an estate manager. Um, and would also appear, he would appear in like as diverse stuff as Terry Gilliam's Brazil, um, and even uh, like to like the Kenny Everett show as well. So kind of very broad range of performances in his career. Um, and again, like you know, there's um, there's that same echo of kind of sympathy going out mm. to his character even early on, you know, mm. and with his deformity and and his loyalty at that point to Frankenstein is, is unfounded. And his amazing belief in the wonders of modern medicine. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Just, where, where do just I sign? Just my brain. Yeah. yeah. No, it's cool. Um, and then uh, on to Margaret, played by Eunice Gason. Um, this is possibly like the first incarnate, uh, she was in the possibly, sorry, the first incarnation of The Bachelor that we know now. Um, back in the 1950s, and she would star in this. <laughs> yeah, she would star in this reality TV show. It was called Pro- Bride and Groom, and uh, would actually go on to marry Lee um, Lee Vance in its c- conclusion. So, um, uh, needless so they to say, get, that like they, they got hitched. They at the got end. married, like from the show. Like, yeah, that was okay. that was the, the concept of the show. It, like they didn't stay together, though. She got. Oh, okay. But you know that's, that's they never do. I'm yeah. saying that's the beginning of the whole <laughs> yeah. the whole joy that is those dating shows. That's it. Usually, months. yeah. Usually they fall it's in love after five two seconds and have sex, and that's, that's it. it. And they go. There oh. might be a rose exchange. Yeah, yeah. We have my rose. Um, but um, she, was a, she was a she was a she was approached by Hammer to play Margaret. Not not really. And there's not really much to her role other than the plot device to release Carl from the straps, really. And her being quite amazingly gorgeous. Oh, she was, as well. yeah, stunningly gorgeous. Yeah, Hammer she always knew how to cast that. For, um, for the Hammer horror wenches. As that's well, it. So. That's I think it. That's what I found it to be a bit of a sort of disconnect, Hammer glamour wise, mm. that, and also even for her station in life, in that she was supposed to be the slightly more lowly relative of you know, brazen strumpet from the doctor's scene earlier, that she didn't sort of seem so much, you know, the the country bumpkin cousin or anything. She seemed very lady of the manor. She did, actually, and carried that off. Even though, like, it sounded like... I mean, I read uh, that Hammer kind of released this uh, as a book, a novelisation, one of those, you know, like, cheap kind of pulp novels. um, Love them. About... Two years ago or so, maybe longer, um, and I and I read it in preparation for this, and um, they kind of go into her character in a bit more detail, and she's basically, um, yeah, it go, she's kind of uh, living with her aunt because she's lost both her parents. So, and there's, that's why she has this need to uh, fill her life by caring for others because she was not cared Nibble for herself. And, yeah, but yeah, um, and it echoes that kind of whole nobility thing, which didn't kind of smack too much. So. I thought on the screen other than you know why would she do this why would she turn up and do this thing um, when I thought the book did that really well um, talking about her career though like um, she wouldn't really make any other features despite this success that she got from Revenge until 1962 where she would ignite the infamous response from film's most famous spy in Doctor No she would say I admire your luck Mr... And the response was, of course, Bond, James Bond. Mm. 
And she wins. She, she wins. Hands down. And all the hammer glamour. That's ever, it. She wins. And in said movie, Doctor No, she would actually become Bond's first on-screen sexual conquest. Nice. Bit of a claim to fame. I was she, reading as well that, that she um, she was originally cast as Mr. Moneypenny. Yes, that's right. Yeah. She was. Yeah, so I don't know what happened there, whether she was just replaced at the last minute. I don't know, actually. I did read the same thing. Or something, but yeah. Yeah. That's um, almost... And she could have gone on to huge numerous career. Bond Almost movies. And, yes. Anyway, she would la- uh, she would later be cast as the Baroness in the original West End production of The Sound of Music. Uh, she would struggle with raising her daughter alone and would be arrested for shoplifting. Oh well, Winona. Um, Winona. 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 The, the, <laughs> the original Winona. Page. <laughs> oh, I love Winona. And uh, she has since made like numerous theatre appearances after the after that, but yeah, her career kind of dwindled, unfortunately. And she fell onto harder times. Um, uh, but yeah, I think we already mentioned like she, her performance in it is is mm. pretty much you know as as standard as is expected from a mm. Hammer film. Looks she has the looks. I'm a plot device. Yes, exactly. Um, we should have nods also to Michael Ripper who plays Kurt in this, uh, Mister Hammer as uh, we like to call him known in a whole heap of Hammer movies such as The Mummy Brides of Dracula Camp on Blood Island Captain Clegg The Scarlet Blade The Mummy Shroud Plague of Zombies and Scars of Dracula just to name a few of his performances he was in so many of them classic um, and yeah very good in this too uh, Did, just, I have a question yeah because there was a the, the Bobby at the end the policeman at the end on the street yes was that Michael Ripper too in, a, in like Ooh. facial hair because it looked like him oh, in like know. really bad patchy yeah. beard and I was like it's like is he cameoing twice <laughs> I have to so look that up the facial hair. hammer aficionados if you know the answer to that just write in and let us know because I, I, I couldn't find him on the cast and I couldn't yeah. find him in the, um, the end credits it so might be so they were just loose loose yeah, they maybe. needed someone else yeah, we, need a, we need a character actor who can we get and his book ended like it's at one end of the film to the other so yeah. you're like oh I've completely forgotten, forgotten about him that yeah yeah that's it <laughs> maybe I'll have to look that one up um, also we have um, John Welsh who's the uh, plays Bergman in this and um, he would turn up for Hammer in Nightmare Rasputin the Mad Monk and their last film before the Hammer revamp The 39 Steps um, and also he would also make uh, an appearance in Room at the Top Kroll and Conga, which was a King Kong-inspired movie shot in colour. Wowza. It wasn't that good, but it, the name just sounds good. Kroll. Kroll was awesome. <laughs> Loved Kroll. Watch that if you've never watched it. Yeah. Um, I wonder what the hell we were talking about. Yeah, again, that's again, it. Again, the Cheshire <laughs> <laughs> Got to see, it had Todd from the Stingers in it. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's right. Todd Very young. Uh, Tucker. 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 <laughs> Um, and also, we shouldn't uh, make a nod to Lionel Jeffries, um, who's in it too, and he would play uh, Caractacus Pox in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Mm. Um, for Hammer, he would play Blake in the Quader Mass Experiment, as well as Colonel Judd in The Scarlet Blade. But he's probably best known as uh, being a writer director for movies such as The Railway Children, The Water Babies, and Wombling Free. Nice, love Wombling, Wombling free. free. I had the soundtrack to that on vinyl. I think everybody years. had this <laughs> until I until yeah. I accidentally chopped it. Oh I was no! Like, I was devastated, Livid. I was absolutely devastated. I couldn't, I couldn't Damn stop it. crying. 
I was in tears. Yeah. Also, The Water Babies was a film that I remember being forced to watch at yeah. school. But like, yeah, for some reason we had it on sixteen millimeter. Yeah. every time so like if there was yeah, a, so it got rained on, out. Or, have to know, watch The Water Babies. Have to watch the Water Babies. It's got James Mason there. What do you want? <laughs> Just in every sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I'm <laughs> The Sydney version of that was Watership Down. Oh, oh yeah. see, I would have preferred Watership Down. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I, love I, still I, still sh- I still haven't shown that to my kids yet. Oh, I can't, no, I'm a bit I can't worried about it. Right here, but I, I mean, that's when I watched it as a kid. Age, but yeah. it is, I love that. It's great. I remember it was like the, the, every time somebody got a VHS machine for the very first time and they would go to the video store, and every person I know that got a, the very first video machine yeah. would get Watership Down out. And that would be, you know, the, yeah. the very the first video. The Christian yeah, yeah, yeah. of the, every VHS, you know. That's it. <laughs> I had it for years on that. I loved it as a kid, I have oh, to admit, awesome. but I, I do remember it being really disturbing. It's really dark. It's disturbing. Yeah. But very good. As we talk about Frankenstein, as we talk about Frankenstein, that's right. That's a dark, dark place. I yeah. think it's actually probably darker because it talks about you know they got your Gestapo and all these yeah. different sort of political regimes. Yeah. In yeah, yeah it does get darker than Hammer. Yeah, 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 it does yeah. get darker than Hammer. But yeah, there we go. Warship down. Uh, okay, so let's uh, just a final act and nod to Richard Wordsworth, who played the uh, you know the handheld, the up patient character in it in the hospital. He was uh, played the iconic character of Victor in Quatermass, um, in the Quatermass experiment. But he was also starring The Man Who Knew Too Much, The Camp on Blood Island, and The Curse of the Werewolf. Nice. So um, yeah, good performances from him. I mean, he's a bit bit of a staple character in that, in this particular movie, but yeah, worth the nod. Director is uh, Terence Fisher. I've got uh, okay. Charles Lloyd Pack as well. Oh, I did too. Yeah, yeah. Right. Trigger's dad. Trigger's was, um, dad. He was one of the. Was he the? He was one of the leads of, of the panel of the, the of the, the council. That's the correct. Council, yeah. Yes. So yeah. I I always kind of I'm an R about who I should include and not include in mm. these things. So I have to sacrifice some to the to the slaughter but yeah. yes I, it's, it's worth mentioning him too the late great triggers that the uh yeah oh so sad mm. okay director is Terence Fisher who comes again to the to the helm of the director's chair and would uh, he would actually direct all but one of the Frankenstein films uh, for Hammer the other the one he didn't was the next installment Evil of Frankenstein and again you can see from his uh, directing skills he's a very kind of you know what you're getting from a Terence Fisher film they're always very stable movies and you can kind of count on on them being uh, well ed- um, well put together and again writer Jimmy Sankster comes well, on I looked up well. um, Terence Fisher as well he was, uh, he was an editor as well yes. he edited two of my favourite Will Hay films oh. Win Back the Sailor and uh, Where There's a Will yes right classic classic films Indeed, like he's, I mean, that's kind of what he had been in the industry for so long. And, um, and again, Hammer were very lucky to have someone like him at helm because the original, uh, which, which came first now, The Mummy or, or Dracula or Frankenstein? Frankenstein, Curse of Frankenstein, when that first came out um, and the success came off that, originally was meant to be uh, Val Guest directing it. Um, and Val Guest had done the Quatermass films, yeah. but he wasn't, he wasn't available at the time. And so they brought in Terence Fisher, and you know, Hammer History was born after that. Yeah. With the likes of him then pairing up with Jimmy Sankster um, and uh, the cinematographer Jack Asher, um, and those three craved some of the best uh, Hammer films to this day. Oh, nice. um, musical score this time was actually supplied by Leonard Salzedo, um, 
and uh, yeah, very very atypical um, uh, score that's mm. brought to the to the fore in this one. Um, so that kind of concludes our players of the piece. Uh, we've, I think we've already kind of mentioned where we sit with our yeah. thoughts on the mm. movie. Uh, enjoyable kind of film. Um, you with know, a certain suspension of yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot several of several faculties, but a lot of Hammer like fans it. really love this movie yeah. and kind of really rate this one as one of the best um, Hammer I films I say, produced. Like it's, it's, it's a stronger development of of the the Frankenstein character in, yeah. in regards to watching this sort mm. of. Madman just suddenly, you know, is slowly taking control of his his madness, basically. Yes. And making it work for him, you know, how to make psychopathy work for you. Yeah, yeah. And, and no um, one does it quite like Cushing. And I actually think, in, in its defence as well, it is a good continuation of the original story. I think mm-hmm. they've done really well to kind of continue that plot device. And I think I do need to say and put my hand up here you can lump me in with those Hammer fans that rate this one cool. because I really enjoyed yeah, it yeah that was very good very good film um, so uh, well, did you have any favourite moments at all throughout it though or? Um, I liked the um, the guillotine red wine yes so that's always going to be nice fun. transition I love piece. yes yeah. well, it comes from your background too <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I, as per usual, was a big fan of all the lab stuff. Yeah. You know, especially, you know, the cool. hands, so scared of the fire, yeah. the darting and eyeballs. The eyeballs, and... loved it. <laughs> I really like Michael Gwynn's performance in this, played mm. Carl. I really thought he humanised the monster role, and I think that's the only time we really ever see this in the franchise, mm. Frankenstein franchise, where uh, it's more, the closer it is, the monster is as close to humanity as it can get in a franchise, as opposed to being a monster or something which is really the overall message so, of the original book and yes. the whole concept of Frankenstein that's so exactly I it I am justified in that <laughs> film um, and I also I found it interesting with the introduction of cannibalism as well in this particular mm. movie I the thought monkey I was, a, was pretty cool too the monkey was excellent nod to the monkey Love a good monkey. Love a good monkey. Um, obviously, they were restricted with what they could do within that subject matter because of censorship, but I did like them. Mm. It was good. Mm. Cool. Um, so that kind of pretty much wraps it up for yeah. uh, this instalment. So we will venture into the next instalment of the Frankenstein va- uh, franchise, which was entitled Evil of Frankenstein. Mm. And we'll discuss that in our next outing. Thank you again, Miles, for joining me. No problem. And thank you, Meredith. Why, thank you. And thank you, listeners. Until next time, goodbye. The Frankenstein Edition, Revenge of Frankenstein Discussions, was brought to you by the Hammer Horror Podcast Team. Your host, Paul Barrell, co-host Miles Davies and Meredith Murphy. Music supplied by Midnight Syndicate from their album Monsters of Legend, title called Building the Monster. Check out Midnight Syndicate at www.midnightsyndicate.com. For more discussions from the Hammer Archives, check out our home address at www.hammerhorrorpodcast.com. Or why not check us out on Facebook or Twitter? Until then, we'll see you next time.
Frankenstein edition, Curse of Frankenstein Discussions, was brought to you by the Hammer Horror Podcast team. Your host, Paul Farrell, co-hosts Miles Davies and Meredith Murphy. Music supplied by Midnight Syndicate from their album, Monsters of Legend, title called Building the Monster. Check out Midnight Syndicate at www.midnightsyndicate.com. For more discussions from the Hammer Archives, check out our home address at www.hammerhorrorpodcast.com. Or why not check us out on Facebook or Twitter? Till then, we'll see you next time. <laughs>